So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. At the end of 2022, Daniel Ricciardo's future as a Formula One driver was uncertain. Back then, Daniel told us he was not done with F1. And we soon found out that F1 was not done with him. And Daniel Ricciardo, who will return to the points in Formula One with seventh position. Ricciardo giving a great result for Alpha Tauri. After a gruelling year with McLaren, Daniel desperately needed time away to reset and see what life without racing would really be like. Now he knows, and the eight-time Grand Prix winner is back with a vengeance and back with a brand new attitude. Do I still want to be world champion? Yes. Has it been a dream of mine since I was a kid? Yes. But it's not going to change me as a human. I know my mum and dad are going to look at me the same way, whether I'm a world champion or whether I'm not. So I still want it and I still deep down believe I can do it, but it's really not going to change the course of my life. Honestly, to end my career as a Red Bull driver would be perfect. Hello and welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. When we last caught up with Daniel Ricciardo at the end of 2022, he'd just endured arguably his most challenging season in Formula One. His contract with McLaren had been terminated and he was without a drive for the first time since his F1 career began in 2011. So it was hardly surprising that Daniel told me he wasn't madly in love with F1 back then. And although he'd rejoined Red Bull as their third driver for 2023, I did wonder just for a moment if we'd ever see the Honey Badger back in the cockpit of a Grand Prix car again. I didn't have to wonder for long. After showcasing some seriously impressive speed in the Red Bull RB19 at a Silverstone test session in July, Daniel immediately replaced Nick de Vries at Alpha Tauri for the rest of the season. There was so much hype and excitement, but after just two race weekends back on track, he was back on the bench for five races after breaking his hand in a crash at Zandvoort. He then returned again, this time for the final five races of the season, and he scored points in Mexico after a mega P4 in qualifying. And now he has to wait until 2024 to prove what he's really made of. Clearly, a lot's changed in Daniel's career, but he's still the same smiley, happy and comedic character that F1 fans adore. He also continues to be highly ambitious and optimistic for what lies ahead. There's loads for you in this chat, and I hope you enjoy listening to Daniel as much as I did. DR, it's great to see you again. Now, when you were last on the pod, you weren't sure what 2023 had in store. So <laughs> how's it been? Manic. <laughs> I still don't know what it's got in store. I've been... I remember, obviously, of course, I remember our conversation. Yeah, it was about a year ago to the day, probably. And 
I knew there was going to be some unknowns this year. And that was kind of the excitement of, you know, getting into a season without, you know, without a winter testing program, without a seat. I was curious about what this year was going to entail, but I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that it happened like this. I definitely sensed that you wanted some time out as well. Is that, mm. is that true? Yeah. I remember when we spoke, you read it like, obviously, cause we sit a few feet away from each other and you can feel, obviously you hear me speak, but I think you can feel a lot and see obviously my expressions and emotions a little more. And, um, yeah, I, I needed it. I was, it was clear to me that I needed it. And I think once I took it, it then became more clear to me like, oh, wow. Yeah. And I've realized things. Oh, okay. Yeah. My confidence, which I lost that. Where, where did that go? And just so many things along the way I discovered that, um, it was super important. It's funny. Like I, I look now and I'm not a coach to anyone, but I feel I could probably look even in other sports and maybe I could just look at say the trend of a certain athlete and be like, ah, oh, that person needs time out. <laughs> so, um, what are the telltale yeah. signs? <laughs> well, uh, there is, look, there was, there was a, an element, I think I mentioned probably like, yeah, I was just a bit burnt out and I think obviously not madly in love with it. You know, I think that's, that's a, obviously a big telltale sign because it's the reason we all really get into it is, you know, passion comes first. Yeah. I think the confidence was another thing, which I think it was when I did my first simulator day at Red Bull. I realized, and it was kind of the people on the outside or people there realized it. And then that made me realize like, oh yeah, wow. I'm not really my true self. Uh, so that was, there was a couple. When was that first simulator day? Because I remember Christian Horner coming to the next race and saying, oh my goodness, he's developed a lot of bad habits since mm. we last saw him. Yeah. And I think bad habits also can just come in the form of lack of confidence. You know what I mean? So that was, um, but it was yeah, end, end of last year. So it was once the season was done, I jumped on the sim, I guess it was sometime in December before I went home for Christmas. And yeah, I was also, don't get me wrong, I was also nervous because I'm, I'm stepping back into an environment that I knew, you know, Christian was very open doors, but I didn't know how other people at Red Bull felt about me kind of coming back in, into the family, into the team. So I was, I was also a little bit nervous probably with that. Because of the way it ended in 2018. Yeah. And, and look, it obviously there was, a, you know, me telling them that I was leaving. Of course, that is, you know, that's going to have its, its effect. But I think then that second half of the season, you know, so the second half of 2018, I think we all, I, I would say, like got over it as best as we could. So it, it didn't it didn't end sour or bad. But of course, you know, some people are, yeah, I understand why they can be hurt or confused by it. And, and when, you know, I did have a contract, you know, available to me. So it's not like the team never offered me something they did. So yeah, obviously like me turning that down and going somewhere else. I understand that. So, and also because I'm not coming off a high, I'm obviously coming off a pretty low season. So I'm walking into the team that's won the championship. So I'm like, oh, are people going to be like, who's this washed up kid or are they going to be happy to see me back and happy to try and like resurrect me a little bit. So there was a lot of things that I guess then made, you know, getting on the sim the first time feel a little bit. Yeah. I just probably put, I had nerves. I find this so hard to believe because I'm looking at an eight time Grand Prix winner. I'm thinking of those Monaco poles. I'm thinking of tripping major nutsack in, in, in Mexico. <laughs> that, I can't believe that you were, that low for want of a better word 
I only saw how low I was after the fact. So, I mean, walking into the factory that day, yes, I was, I was yeah, as I mentioned, I was definitely a bit nervous, but I, there was a part of me which was definitely excited as well because I realized maybe this is another chance, you know? So, and I, and I, I was like, okay, who better to do it with than, you know, the team that really got me here in the first place. So there was, there was, uh, there was an element of that, but I mean, the sim that day, I didn't, yeah, didn't go particularly well. And then obviously I went home for Christmas and I had all this time off. So I think it was over the course of time. Yeah. I was like, oh man, yeah, this wasn't completely myself. (laughs) DL, how did you feel when the Formula One world gathered for preseason testing in Bahrain and, and you weren't there? I don't know where you were in the world, but Mm. a little bit of FOMO or not? Preseason testing, not really, because... I've never really liked preseason <laughs> testing, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was I was keeping an eye on it, but I wasn't. By that point, I still hadn't really. I wouldn't say I'd really yet had enough time off to have like the real, as you mentioned, the FOMO and that burning desire. But then the race came around, and yeah, I was watching every practice session and I really, you know, over Christmas when I'm home and on my farm and riding dirt bikes and hanging out with my mates and being, let's say, a very normal Perth kid, at that point, I wasn't invested in it. Like I did not expect, I was like, oh, I don't even know if I'll watch the first race. Like I just, whatever. But maybe that was a bit of me, like, I don't know if you call it a defense mechanism or something, but yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't going to be surprised if I didn't really care about it too much. Where were you when everyone else was in Bahrain? By race one, I was back in the factory. And I think actually, I think my first sim day was probably the day before um, the Friday practice. I quickly became invested in it again. And I think that's definitely the environment as well, you know, which being back working with, you know, Simon, Simon Rennie, uh, who was my engineer for, you know, all my time at Red Bull. Um, So all my sim days had been with him. Yeah, I just, I don't know. There was just a lot of people who were from, you know, my time and and they hadn't moved on and they'd stayed and they'd gone through the highs and lows. And I think I definitely had appreciation of them, like, you know, sticking through it because it's not only drivers that can leave teams. Obviously, everyone can jump around a bit. There was just a cool, cool feeling. And I, I just felt, I really did feel like I was home again. And even though I wasn't a race driver or anything, there was there was just a lot that was going on, which was giving me, yeah, those good feelings back. How quickly did the magic come back on the sim? So on the sim, I think it was... So other than my first day, I guess at the end of 2023, it then started to come back pretty quickly. So that was like a little bit of a scare, I'll say that day. But there is... I'll, I'll defend myself a little bit here. There is also... Every, every sim is different, right? And, you know, we can't talk in too much detail about how they differ, but every team really builds their own sim pretty much. So there is also an element of kind of just getting used to another sim. So I think on my first day, some of my lack of speed was also just kind of getting up to speed with a new system also. So I'm not saying that was all of it, but that was a little bit of it. I know you're trying to hold in a laughter. <laughs> I'm not talking <laughs> I'm not talking rubbish. Um, but then after that, yeah, I, I, I started to get into it more. And that's, I think... That was kind of going hand in hand with also how I was starting to feel. I was starting to, you know, this is now maybe I guess March, starting to miss it more. I started, you know, getting back into my physical training and 
yeah, like getting off the couch and I think I just got it out of my system over Christmas and that I had two months at home, which I'd never really ever had other than COVID. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just, as I said, rode bikes with my mates. We would, you know, drink beer and have wine in the evenings and just kind of live like a more regular person, I guess, and do regular things and not really have to wake up every morning with a goal or an objective or purpose. I felt like I just needed to do that for my own head and my sanity. But yeah, after a couple months of that, I was like, I don't, I'm not ready for this. Like, I don't want to just. I was going to say, yeah. you're a driven guy. I, I can't mm. imagine you being a sloth for too long. Right? <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't. I nearly needed to force that lifestyle just to understand if it was for me or not, if you know what I mean. And um, because even like a regular season, yes, we have a Christmas break and I'll go home and I will enjoy myself for a few weeks. But it's even that like every, I know I'm just, it sounds a bit silly here, but every beer I would drink, I know it's one more beer I have to work off come January. So you're, you're never mentally fully off, if that makes sense. So I wanted to mentally be fully off during this break which which I was and it was it was nice and it was nice to feel like that but then it got to a point where as you say that drive and that hunger just built back up and that's that's what I needed like I needed it to come from me I didn't need someone else getting me out of bed um, because that's that's not my choice tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. DL, at what point of being a third driver did you suddenly think, no, I've got to go racing again? I've got a suggestion as to when I think it was looking from the outside, and that's Melbourne. Mm. Turning up at your home race and not racing. And remember when you were mucking around with your inspired unemployed guys, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and at the end of that clip, it's all, I know it's all lighthearted, but you say, God, boys, I haven't, I haven't got a car this year. I'm not racing. And I felt that was a really poignant moment. Melbourne was definitely, that was, yeah, it was my first race, like attendance that all this season. And yeah, you know what? It's funny because yes, I felt everything. And I think for sure it's, I felt the home crowd and I was still, everyone was still going nuts as if I was a race driver, as if I was competing that weekend. So it was obviously really nice to still have a lot of support, but yeah, there was an element of like, oh, it's an awesome feeling. Like it's, it's a privilege. And I think that's also where I needed to step away to appreciate everything that the sport is, you know, and I've always been a guy to enjoy it and embrace the moment and all of that. So obviously, you know, last year there was, as I said, I wasn't just got to a point where I wasn't fully in love with it again. So I guess being forced in a way to sit on the sidelines made me see it through a different lens. And I was, then I was like, oh man, this is, as I say, it's a privilege. 20 of us can do it. So yeah, that was, that was where it started to build up again, you know, being on the ground, so to speak. But I wasn't, I still wasn't there yet. 
So it was, it was going in the right direction. And I knew my answer was I will race again, but I wasn't, I wasn't kind of foaming at the mouth where I needed to rip a driver out of their seat and jump in the car that weekend in Melbourne. I was still happy kind of letting this boil and I didn't want to just be like, yeah, I'm ready. Like I wanted to be, you know, like how Christian taps his feet on the pit wall, you know, like that kind of eagerness just to, just to go. (laughs) Well, we're going to come on to the return in a minute, but tell us a little bit about what you got up to completely away from Formula One. I mean, a year ago on the pod, you were saying you wanted to go to the Super Bowl. You wanted to go on a road trip. Did you, did you tick any of those boxes? (laughs) I ticked a few. I ticked a few. And Super Bowl was another, I would say, quite pivotal weekend where being around competition and obviously for the NFL at, at the highest level with the bright lights, so to speak, with everything at its highest I think being around that also made me miss it and I loved being a fan I loved being uh, there just to fully enjoy it and not be invested in it so to speak but I but there was a part of me which was like man these guys are so lucky today like they are so lucky to be on the field and to be able to do this that was probably you know what I say Melbourne and all of that but I would say the Super Bowl was where I really like the the dial got turned and then, yeah, we, we actually road tripped back. So we, we drove then back to LA from there. So I got a little bit of a road trip in, but not the big one I was planning and not the big one we talked about. For those of you <laughs> who don't remember, it was going to be Route 66 on 110, yeah, <laughs> on 110 was, motorbikes. Yeah. You'll still be going now. Like. <laughs> I know, I know. It's one for when I fully retire. There's still some boxes I got to tick, but I, um, no, I did, I did get to fill the fun cup and that was, that was something I really enjoyed. My buddy got married, uh, so got to not only go to his wedding, but also the bachelor party in Vegas. I'd never been to a bachelor party as, as far as I remember. So that was, you know, I had the opportunity to do that this year. And yeah, like going to Vegas and having fun and just being a human doing human things. <laughs> <laughs> and having taken a glimpse at life without Formula One, albeit just for a couple of months, how do you view the next stage of your career in Formula One? I mean, like Alonso said, he's come back and he's determined to enjoy every second and perhaps he didn't do that first time around. Is it similar for you? I think absolutely on on two points where the one is that, yes, this is, I'm treating it like a, a second wind, a second chance to, you know, kind of go all in for this, this call it last part of my career. So there's things that I'm going to do differently to make sure that all my energy is focused on going all in. But then there's also, there's definitely an element of making sure that you're okay after racing, after your career. Because I know, you know, a lot of, uh, especially I think in sport, because you do it from such a young age, you're not a businessman from five years old. You know, it's a sport is a very rare career where you can start pursuing it so young that it, yeah, it, it's been your only purpose in life and it's consumed you and normally your family as well. So when it's gone, I know that's where a lot of athletes can struggle with kind of just, yeah, their identity, I guess. And okay, where are they going to get that adrenaline from? Where are they going to get that drive? I'm aware that it's not easy for everyone also to kind of, as you say, transition to life after sport. Yeah, I was, I was also in a way curious to know how my life could look and how I would be and I'm like I am a obviously a positive person and and normally just I would say also very easygoing so 
Uh, it's not something that I was necessarily concerned about, but yeah, you kind of do. You kind of want that comfort of knowing that yeah, okay, I'm 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 going to be fine, and and I can enjoy other things in life. And racing is my passion, but it's not everything, and it's not the be all and end all. So, I think I got that answer, which was really good, and I think also it allows me to come back for this second phase with, in a way, less pressure. Deep down, I'm going all in, and I want to put everything I can into it, but there is part of me which is also a little bit lighter do you'll be a better racing driver for it definitely my approach yes i mean i hope to be a better racing driver that's what i'm i'm working on do i still want to be world champion yes has it been a dream of mine since i was a kid yes but i think you just get to and maybe it's just because i've seen max or whoever else and they're still waking up the same person so i I think it's just that you just take a little bit of pressure off it it's not going to change me as a human. Therefore, it's not going to change my life moving forward. Yes, it will present some other opportunities or whatever if you are to achieve such a, a feat. But it's, I know my mum and dad are going to look at me the same way, whether I'm a world champion or whether I'm not. So yeah, it's just, it's probably a bit of perspective. I don't know. But so I, I still want it and I still deep down believe I can do it, but it's really not going to change the course of my life. Let's talk about the return to driving then it happened at silverstone a couple of days after the british grand prix you get to drive the best car on the grid the red bull rb19 tell us how that opportunity came about first of all the simulator stuff was going well and i was let's say heavily invested again and i think obviously that you know that probably gets my enthusiasm let's say i'm sure that gets um passed along you know so if Simon, see, I'm sure, you know, Christian's checking in as well. If he's not checking in directly with me, he's checking in with Simon. How's Daniel going? You know, what's, what do you think? What do you see? Is it the old Daniel? All this. So then, yeah, there was obviously word of a Pirelli test. I think I might've even asked, I said, look, I would love to drive this car because, okay, yes, it's a very fast car, but it's also a car that I wanted to know if it was still familiar for me and it was still something that I could, yeah, like also just bring my confidence back. And then, yeah, I think, through a little bit of this then oh there's a test in Silverstone after the race it was probably just would you like to do it and I said absolutely that also gave me a bit of a target to work to in terms of you know making sure that I was fit and strong again and blah 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 so I think I liked that as well having a little bit of a goal so Silverstone race weekend I was there as a reserve driver or third driver and I remember on the Sunday you know when the drivers do their laps to grid and then come back and have that little bit of a break before going out for the anthem I already started to mentally put myself in that position again because I knew if this test went well, things could change quickly. So then the test was, it was something a little bit like the sim I mentioned. I was, I was certainly a little bit nervous, but ultimately I was excited. And I think some of the nerves were because by July, I was at a point where I really had my confidence back and I really believed I could do a great test. So a little bit of nerves was knowing that I, I, deep down, I knew I could do it. So it was just, okay, it's up to you now. Like this is in your hands. Honestly, your future is, it could hang on this test. It was good to feel that pressure again. So I think that was important as well. I wasn't like pushing it back. I was just kind of embracing it again. And all these things that I used to really thrive off, you know, I kind of was getting it back. So did the test. Um, the first run, I actually spun twice in turn four I had a spin so like very low speed hairpin 
just a little bit eager on the throttle, you know? <laughs> and then I had a spin in turn seven, I think. So another slow speed. Again, I did a tiny little loop and got it going. It wasn't like I was in the gravel or anything. But even that, I spun, but I, I was okay with it. I wasn't like, oh man, what are you doing? Like I didn't get in my head. I was just like, oh, well, it makes sense. I haven't driven in, you know, seven, eight, nine months, whatever it was. So even the way I brushed it off, I think it was really good for me because I just, it didn't, it didn't phase me. So then I got back going and, and I started to put in some good times. Also, the very, very first time I went through turn one flat, I thought my helmet was going to fly off my head. You just forget. You forget how intense it is on your body and how fast these cars are. So that was also really cool to feel it again because it made me really like respect it. Yeah, so did the first run with those couple spins, came back in. So I did maybe, I don't know, eight laps or something, maybe 10. Came back in. So we put some then new tires on. We put uh, like FP2 fuel in the car. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The first, the first time lap I did was on the money. Now by on the money, like DM, on the money, yeah, it was good enough <laughs> to line up on the front row of the grid two days early. Yeah, like you take the fuel out to put it to quali fuel, and it was, um, I don't know, it was a few hundreds off Max's pole time. So. That and I cool. believe that Helmet was on the phone at yeah. that moment <laughs> making changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the... So, well, I... Because I... Even by that... I, coming into that lap, I was like, well, let's... Like, I was so excited. I treated it obviously like a qualifying lap. Mind you, like 15 minutes earlier, I felt like my head was going to fall off in turn one. So I was like, am I even going to be able to push on new tires and do all this? And anyway, but again, I just had that feeling in the car and that confidence and people listening like yeah but you spun twice yeah but it was of course I was a little rusty to start but I there was elements of the car that felt so familiar that I knew then okay a new set of tires will take a bit of fuel out of it I kind of just knew what it could do and what it was capable of I'm not going to say yeah it was easy or effortless but I had a lot of confidence in it that it could do what I thought it could and I crossing the line when I looked at the time, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I was expecting to go that quick. Like, I knew the day had potential to be a really good day, but I'll be lying if I said I was going to do that time pretty much my first lap with new tires. What well, was my first lap with new tires? Like, that was, that was kind of wild. So it gave me a very big smile. I think Christian was there. He was really good because like, even coming into the day, he's just like, look, mate, obviously we're going to be looking at you and obviously seeing how you perform, but... I just want to see you having fun again. He goes, I really felt like you were missing that. Obviously, we all we all know what you can do when you're enjoying it and just at your best. So he basically just said, I just want to see that smile on your face. And he, he certainly saw that. That was going to be one of my questions. When had you last enjoyed driving a Formula One car that much? <laughs> um, it had been a while. Look, don't get me wrong. I definitely had times in 2022 where I was enjoying it and having fun and I think Mexico was a good race, so I was having a bit of fun then, but it was just far and few between, you know, and I think that was, even if I'd come into a race weekend with, let's say, my optimism and excitement, it would quickly kind of get pulled away with just the performance or the struggle or whatever, so it would be short-lived. You know, when I crossed the line and seen that lap time and had that kind of just that relief again, like, man, I, I still got this, it had been a long time. Can we just praise the car for a little bit? The RB19, the machine mm -hmm. that has completely 
dominated the 2023 season. What is so darn good about it? I mean, what made the tests go really well for me is that it was, yes, the cars have evolved and changed so much, but there was there was part of its DNA, which was still what I remembered and still what I really liked in a race car. So that was, that's for me, the part I love most about the Red Bull car is I can just drive it the way I want to drive it. It doesn't really explain what's great about the car, but it it's, explains why I love it. In simple terms, what's good about it, I just remember getting on the throttle. Once I'd got to like 50% throttle, I had so much faith in just smashing that last 50% and not, not having to really worry about the car or where it was. It just, the rear was really beautiful. I will say, and maybe I'll say my spins were because I was rusty, but maybe this says as well, like a fast car is not always the easiest car to drive. So as beautiful and awesome as the car is, you've still got to drive it. I look at the season Max has had and he's also won races in mixed conditions, in the wet, in this and that. And the car is amazing, but it's not doing it for you. He's obviously at one with it, but it's, um, I don't know. I just, I loved it. It's great. And I had fun and it was just good to do it again. I didn't expect the call to be for the week later in Budapest. I thought it would be after the summer break, but once they said it and obviously how I felt after the test, I was like, man, I'm ready. Like, let's, let's do it. Did you feel sorry for Nick DeVries? Yes, because I'd been through it, you know, less than a year earlier. I understood it, you know, but it's all very, um, I guess, like subjective. You know, you're understanding, okay, is it, uh, did he have enough time? Maybe not. Was his results good enough? Maybe not, you know, so it's, it can go both sides, right? But I, I did because it's, again, maybe, maybe it's just what I've been through and maybe I'm in my mid-30s now. We've all put so much into this, you know, and I know Nick has put so much into his career and obviously he finally got a chance and, okay, it didn't work out. So, you know, six months earlier, he's probably the most excited he's ever been to start a race season and six months later, it's, he doesn't have a race season. So I feel like I feel for him and I think anyone in that position, obviously, because it's, um, yeah, like your dream can start and ultimately kind of finish or be certainly derailed in a short amount of time and dr you had your work cut out because you go into hungary with no testing in in the alpha tower you're up against yuki sonoda who's been in the car for half a season how important was it for you to out qualify yuki in that first weekend so coming into the weekend i was i was excited of course i was a little bit confident but i was also I want to say realistic that I'd never driven the car. Who knows if it's going to be a car that is good for me or not. <laughs> obviously, most cars I'd been all right with other than uh, obviously the McLaren I, I struggled with. So you just, nothing's guaranteed, I guess. So coming into the weekend, I just wanted to do an awesome job, but I knew that, okay, it's it's probably not going to happen on the first weekend. Like you just, there's going to be a process. Also my engineer, uh, Pierre Hamlin, he, I haven't worked with him before. So there's, there's just a lot of things where you just can't expect the world ultimately. But I remember I did so FP1. It rained shortly after the start of the session. I did an outlap and I remember already on the outlap, I felt in it. It's hard to explain, but I, I felt like I'd driven this car before. Like it didn't feel like, because even at this level and even as experienced as I am, sometimes it can feel very foreign. You know, I said not driving for eight, nine months, jumping in the Red Bull car. 
the speed felt foreign, the G-forces felt foreign. It takes you a few laps to find your feet. And I remember the outlap, I started feeling like, oh, yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too dusty. So that was like my first quick impression. Then it started raining, blah, blah, blah. But then as the weekend went on, yeah, Yuki was a few tenths quicker and I was just trying to find a little bit, little bit. And then qualifying, yeah, I just stepped it up and found a little bit here and there and it was close, but I qualified him. And that was really nice because he'd also had a really strong season up until that point and definitely obviously made, made life difficult for Nick. So for me to be, you know, let's say on it, straight away I guess it confirmed a lot of the like the good feelings I had from the test and yeah with the team as well I think they they were really excited for my arrival but excited is one thing obviously they need to then be excited about my results <laughs> well Franz Toss was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he said that your technical leadership was really helpful coming into it I did feel a little bit of pressure with my experience and I knew that the team would yeah, maybe lean on me and obviously I've driven so many cars now and even just feedback all of it. But I also didn't know the Alpha Tower yet and how the car is. So yeah, I was like, okay, I can only probably say so much until I know this car. But I think that's one thing I've been really happy with is 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 my feedback and I always want to be better at it. But I felt like within a few races we were able I was able to let's say push them and ask a lot of questions and okay why have we set the car up like this is is that what Yuki and Nick liked in a car I think we could maybe go down this direction I think it's more what I like this and that um like just a lot of things but I, I felt it straight away that they were really receptive of my feedback and it made me feel really comfortable and welcome in the team that I was yeah just being listened to from the get-go and yeah they made me feel at home really quickly and then we started implementing some of these setup changes and developments and obviously fast forwarding then to say a Mexico felt like it really came to fruition. The car improved massively, I think from Austin onwards. What was that down to? So we had updates in Singapore which I was on the sideline for. That was like a significant update for the team. And then I know Liam scored points in Singapore. Uh, Yuki was quick in Q1, I think it was. So like there was, there was definitely signs of the car being an improved car. And then Austin, there was a few more updates. Yuki had a good weekend. I didn't, but then we went on to Mexico and we actually went to some setup stuff that we ran in FP2 in Zandvoort which I did a few laps and then had the crash. And for those few laps we did, I was really happy with the car. And we were actually, I remember at the time on the hard tire, we were actually quite competitive before the accident. So it was, it was definitely a bit of a different direction in terms of setup, what the team had been doing, but it was something that I felt would help me, the car, my driving style, all of it. But then we obviously didn't do it because then I was on the sidelines and then Austin was a sprint race so we didn't really want to put in something that no one had really raced yet. So then we kind of just ran, let's say, call it a normal setup. And then Mexico, we were able to, let's say, Mexico. put the Zanvort setup back in. Yeah. And then Mexico, that was, Q, you qualify yeah. fourth. I think you're only a tenth behind Max Verstappen <laughs> in the LB19. It was nuts. Yeah, it was, it was wild. And I think we actually had a look. The, 
if you take out the straight, I think like the the first straight, I think then from that point on, we were like identical lap time or something. So that was really cool. And I guess speaking on that weekend, it wasn't really until probably the Tuesday after the race that the fourth place qualifying sunk in. You know, I was, I knew at the time, like I was obviously very happy and whatever, but I probably didn't fully appreciate what qualifying fourth in an Alpha Tauri meant. I think it was the Tuesday where I was kind of far enough removed from the weekend. Yeah, I just kind of looked back on it and yeah, I was just uh, proud of like my performance and it kind of just brought back a lot of, yeah, that that kind of internal, that, that happiness and that confidence and yeah, ultimately just be proud. Now you mentioned the elephant in the room, Zanvoort, FP2. Turn three, what happened? Oh, I mean, I can obviously remember it very clearly because I, I didn't hit my head. Um, <laughs> but So you, you come through turn, I guess it's turn two, and it's, it's over kind of a crest, but then you stay quite tight because then the line for three, you just, you, you ride the top of the banking, you know, so you're not taking a conventional racing line. So you're not like looking at the apex, you're looking at the top of the corner pretty much like as a driver we're always looking ahead and normally like at the apex but the way you exit two you then kind of look straight ahead and pick your braking point so at that point i'd exited two i hadn't seen any yellows nothing like that and then by the time i've looked ahead and braked i've then looked where i need to turn and i see oscar this all happened so quickly but i remember i can obviously i'm picturing it in my head now and so I remember, okay, the, the line we take is high. And by this point I'd braked, so I'd already committed. So I knew the speed I was going. My only choice was to take the high line, but I could see his car was at the top of the track. So there wasn't enough room for me to pass through the high line. I'm going too fast to take a low line. So it was either probably look like a real idiot and crash into him or try and just slow the car as much as I can and likely just crash into the barriers which is what happened but yeah because it was all I guess I'm still trying to figure out what I'm gonna do by the time then I'd committed to just going straight I hadn't then realized okay take your hands off the wheel and a lot of us still don't do it because crashing is not natural and it happens so quickly because you don't plan to crash so a lot of the time you don't kind of have yeah the the time to be like okay I'm crashing what do I need to do brace myself okay take my hands off the wheel Sometimes you just don't have the luxury of time. So that was it. Hit the wall. I've only watched one replay, but I just don't, I don't want to. Basically, when I've gone in, I'm pretty sure like the right front, it's just the angle, right? So the right front would have grabbed, I guess, the tech pro first. And then that's like pulled it in. So it's, it's like I've turned really hard right the way obviously the, it's grabbed the wheel so because the wheels then turn so quickly i've basically lost grip so it's spun out of my hands and the bottom of the wheel which is pure hard carbon <laughs> has then come up and basically karate chopped my hand so then you've got like shock of a crash and then adrenaline so i've come on the radio and i, I think i've been like oh sorry like i've crashed or something and then is he like oh you're all right or can you continue? And I was like, no, the car's damaged. And then I could feel my hand. And then I was like, oh, my hand, my hand. And then I just, I, it started to like, the pain just went, obviously ramped up really, really quickly. And I feared that something was bad. 
so as I'm pull, I wanted, I was like, I need to get my glove off. I need to get my glove off. And as I'm pulling my glove off, I remember I was thinking, <laughs> I was like, if there's a bone through the skin, I'm going to pass out. So that's all. I was just like, please, please, please don't let me see anything gruesome. I'm not good with this stuff. I'm sweating telling it. <laughs> like I'm serious. I suck Have at this. Have you broken a bone but before? I broke my arm as a kid at school throwing a tennis ball. Anyway, but yeah, so another very random accident. And I didn't need surgery. I just, that was like a long, long healing process. But yeah, so all right. So I've pulled my glove off and I, I could see it was already quite swollen, but no bone through the skin. I was like, okay. But then the pain just got so bad. So as soon as I jumped into the medical car, I was making a lot of noises because I was in a lot of discomfort. So I knew that it was not good. I knew immediately, obviously, I wasn't going to race on the weekend. Like I, I didn't need a doctor to tell me. I feared it was a broken bone. I think the first thing that really kind of just made me sad was I just had a very, very productive summer break. I felt really, really good physically and I was just, yeah, I was just ready to go and this just felt like a, an unfortunate setback. But I was just more worried about surgery and all that because I'm, again, I'm a bit of a wuss. Well, <laughs> what happens next? I mean, you, you went down to Barcelona to Dr. Xavier Mir. Mm -hmm. who is renowned in the MotoGP world for, for mending those sorts of breaks. I also think he was, didn't he help Lance Stroll. Stroll earlier in the year as well? Yeah. So who put you in touch with him or did you know him already? So from the medical center, we went to the hospital there in Amsterdam, got scans and they're like, yeah, it's broken. And by this point, it's the size of like, look like an elephant stepped on my hand. The doctor there said, look, I would recommend surgery. He's like, you can have it here but you probably want to wait anyway a few days for the swelling to go down. Speak to whoever you need to speak to and obviously you can have your surgery wherever you want. I'm just going to give you my advice. So then we reached out to Lance. We reached out to or Jose, a friend of ours who works with Alpine Stars. So he knows all the MotoGP guys and, and he's Spanish as well. So he knows. That, so he, I think, put us into touch with Javier, uh, Javier Mir. And then, yeah, Lance was like, go to him as well. All signs were just pointing to this guy's done this too many times. Just go see him. It's like, don't, don't even bother. Just go there. So there, it, was a, it was a blessing and a curse because <laughs> <laughs> he does a lot of MotoGP guys who are not human. They are not. It's fact. <laughs> they are not. So I think there's an expectation of me going in there. He's like, oh, F1 MotoGP, same. Not human. Don't feel pain. <laughs> No, doctor, I feel pain. I'm going to cry for the next 48 hours whilst I'm in this hospital. So it was just funny. They, I think, you know, all the doctors and, and nurses and that who were helping me and they were great, but I think they, they were just quite, <laughs> they would laugh a lot because I would wince and pull away and ask questions every needle that went into my arm. Um, so I think they just thought I would be tough like a MotoGP rider but I'm, I'm sure you were. No, no, trust me, I'm not. <laughs> the break itself was quite significant and it was a shatter. Like it wasn't like, oh, you just break it clean down the middle. I think it was in eight pieces or something. So it was also for a bone that can be quite a simple one, it wasn't too pretty. So it's your pinky that was being affected by it? Um, well, your left hand. it's like the outside of the hand. So that's the bone I broke in between like the wrist and the pinky like that knuckle. So like along the outside there, but even me just like rubbing my finger over the top of my hand hurt like crazy. Maybe I just feel pain more than others. I don't know. 
And how yeah. difficult was the re- <laughs> <laughs> But uh, sorry, I just want to just let's also say one thing. There was also the reality where yes, I would moan and complain because I don't like the pain, but it was a broken hand. So there was also part of me which was like, look, dude, yes, you're in pain and it's going to be a bit of a process, but people have worse injuries, people have bigger accidents. So don't get me wrong. I also tried to reality check myself through it all. And I think that's what made me quite like remain quite positive. You missed five races. You came back for Austin. Was there any talk of you getting back earlier, maybe for Qatar? So I knew I was doing physio every day and I was, I was doing what I could to come back as soon as possible. But I also wanted to make sure, and I think, you know, Red Bull, AlphaTauri were really good with this, is I wasn't fighting for a world championship. Like, it's not like, dude, you need to just drive through immense pain and just get a point, you know, because this is your titles on the line. Like it was, let's make sure you do this and heal properly and get the right treatment because also you've got hopefully a second part of your career, which is going to be long and glorious. So it was just don't compromise anything that you then have a bung hand for the next two years of your career, three years, whatever. So it was good. I could just do it properly. Qatar was talked about. I went on the sim the week of Qatar on the Monday I couldn't uh, yet drive with the full force of the steering. Like, so we would like bring the feedback down. Uh, I just couldn't grip it and do more than like two laps at full strength. So it was very clear that Qatar was out of the question. And also for me to come back and like, yeah, I don't know, just not drive at my best. And then no, that no one benefits. I don't benefit. The team doesn't. So um, it was that at that point we're like, let's just go all in for Austin and make sure I'm good for that. And Liam was doing a decent job as well. Exactly. He was he was doing well. And there was also, I think Red Bull were great to give me a contract whilst I was injured to give me the contract for next year. So I, I had that. So Actually, don't that get was wrong. very significant, wasn't it? They actually yeah. signed you long term when you were on the sidelines. Yeah. There's so much about being back in the Red Bull family this year that's felt good and right. And I think that was such a... Yeah, just such like a big thing for them to do that. I think obviously it showed they have a lot of faith in me. It also put to bed, you know, if anyone was like, oh, you know, is there still like any issues from their previous relationship years ago? Like, is there any carryover tension or whatever? Like for them to do that, I think it was very much like he's our kid and we're going to support him because we believe in him. And so that, that was really nice. And you come back for Austin and were there any ill effects there? Because I mean, that's a quick track sector one in particular. Uh, no, like in, in short, no. Um, I think the race, I got into it quickly and, and, and I was actually, honestly, I was expecting more pain in Austin. I was expecting like every kind of bump or curb old hit would be like, oh, 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 <laughs> but it was okay. And um, I think it was just then endurance like I needed to build. So like towards the end of the race, I could feel like my grip strength was maybe not as good as at the start of the race, but honestly, I was, I was fine. And I think that was another thing. I didn't want to get back into a race and then be like, yeah, I could have done better, but you know, my hand was not up to full strength or like, I was like, this can't be an excuse. And, and it wasn't. So it was all good. And Daniel, you were never going to miss Austin, right? No, I couldn't. <laughs> I would have loved the, the result to be better, but, um, but no, I, I couldn't miss Austin. The, the track, the place. Yeah. The... I love it. Did I you get a it. lot of love? Yeah. Yeah. Austin's great. I think that the, the circuit's cool and whatever, but just the city, I, all of it's just fun. Did you go and watch Queen? <laughs> I think they were playing on the Saturday night, weren't they? One didn't. 
you're holding out for you too now, aren't you? After mm. Bono <laughs> complimented you. So when Bono I, says, yeah, Daniel Ricardo can be me. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've had the pleasure of meeting him. So yes, I guess that's maybe how he knew my name. <laughs> and he also did a, um, he did a book. I mean, I might get this wrong, the, the right uh, terminology or the actual, what the show was called, but he released a book at the end of last year and we went to, he did like a tour, but it was like a musical kind of storytelling book tour in a way. So I had a, an event in Madrid, I think at the end of the year. So we saw him in Madrid. It was really his life story, but then he would weave, you know, some of their songs into it. So it was really like, it was really beautiful. So I had, I had seen him, let's say perform quite recently, but, uh, but still, when I got, yeah, this little shout out was pretty cool. I say pretty cool. It was very cool. <laughs> Who am I kidding? It's freaking you too. <laughs> like with or without you was my dad as a kid had three CDs in his car. I remember, you know, so if I'd like go to work with him on the weekend or just drive around with dad and give him company when you're, you know, whatever, seven years old. So he had Joshua Tree. He had uh, the Rolling Stones and he had Bob Dylan those three were quite often just on repeat because that's what CDs were in those days. And, um, but yeah, I would, I think it was Joshua Tree, but it was anyway, I remember um, listening to a lot of their songs when I was a kid and with, with or without you was a, yeah, quite a big one for me. And, and dad must've been pretty impressed <laughs> yeah. by the whole Bono. <laughs> yeah, I know. Daniel Ricardo name chat. <laughs> I think we're very much alike and he, he's just like me. Like I know if I'm, gonna just freak out about something then he'll be the same and i think sometimes we just look at each other and just obviously he'll tell me he's like can you believe that happened or you met this person or and i'm like i know dad i'm like i i feel the same as you feel like i just sometimes i just i pinch myself it's 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 pretty surreal how like racing a car can kind of open these doors sometimes it's, it's wild it's crazy isn't it and the reach of formula one now i remember seeing a clip of you i think it was at the met gala where anne hathaway mm. recognizes you <laughs> yeah. oh my god oh my god it's daniel <laughs> it's it's that's where it's weird when it's not obviously if it's at an f1 track then it makes more sense oh they're there to see us but when you're pretty much at like someone else's event you know like the met is not an f1 event it's normally for i guess artists musicians uh, actors and whatever so it's it's not massively a sporting crowd that's there so for, then obviously f1 is is you know its own thing as well so then you get to you get there as an f1 driver you feel like a little bit of an outcast so i'm like on the like the kind of stairs red carpet thingy and i'm kind of just looking around and I'm trying to enjoy it and just embrace it because yeah, I'm pinching myself. I'm like, how the hell have I got here? This is, this is really cool. So I'm certainly going to like enjoy the moment. I was just there waiting, I think for Anne to like take her photos. And then, yeah, when she looked at me, I was like, oh my God, Dan Ricardo. I was just like, what world am I living in? This, it just makes no sense anymore. It's, it's so brilliant, isn't it? But actually it raises the question about what's happened to Formula One in the last what would you say, five years? Yeah. And just how it's this rocket ship, isn't it? And if, are you really feeling it now on the ground as, a, as one of the stars? You feel it. And that, that's an example, like the Met. The sport is no longer this little niche kind of sport. It's, it's like a mainstream thing now. And it's, 
Yeah, there's there's and characters completely and, global as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. And look, I of course, yes, I you know maybe um, allows me to meet you know some of my heroes a bit more easily now, or like you know so there's like some perks that come with it, which is which is great and that's cool and it's fun and but it really ultimately it's the thing I love most is that you know the sport I've loved my whole life is now being loved by others. You know, and I think that's cool. That's that's what I get a kick out of. And if I see, especially, you know, I'm a sportsman, I love sports. I see other athletes come into our world and like show like love and respect for us and appreciate what we do. That makes me really happy because deep down I know, obviously I'm in the sport, so I know how hard it is. And yes, it's physical and it's this and that. So now that kind of, the in a way, the message has come across well and people can just see it as a real sport and not just some guys driving cars fast that's what makes me happy well dr it's been wonderful to catch up i did just want to end by talking about 2024 are you looking forward to what next year has in store yeah it's probably the first off season that i'll want to not go too long in terms of i'll just i just want to get keep racing i think now that i'm back in it and obviously yeah, I missed some time with the hand and then obviously missed the first half of the season. I, I feel like I just want to just get going. So I'm excited for next year. I think it's really going to be a change. I think just kind of the whole mentality of the team. It's no longer just a junior team. I think it's definitely going to be more than that. I think get a lot more involved with Red Bull, obviously as much as it can within the rules and that. Yeah, like I think there's a lot more potential that a team like this can have and show. And I think even the last part of this season, you know, we were 10th in the championship, obviously fighting for seventh. It kind of turned around really quickly. So I think the team also can recognize that now, like, okay, we can, yeah, we can be more than probably what we've shown. And I think that's really exciting. And I'm excited for what lies ahead, hungry, motivated, happy, determined, everything I need to feel. So can't wait. What's the end game here, Dio? Is it the Red Bull racing seat for 25? I'm not even going to put a day or date on it or year, whatever. It's just that is, I think, coming back into it and, yeah, jumping back in with the Red Bull family. Like that's, you know, doing the test in July, all these things, getting back working with Simon again. That's really the dream. Honestly, to end my career as a Red Bull driver would be perfect. And I say end, not that I'm looking at the end, but if I got back there then I'll certainly make sure I finish there. Good luck. Thanks for your time. Cheers, buddy. What a statement of intent to end on. Daniel really wants a return to Red Bull Racing, doesn't he? But first, he's got to maximise the opportunities where he is. And you can tell he's excited about what 2024 has in store. Thanks for your time, Daniel. I really do enjoy our pre-Christmas chats. And there was so much to take from what he says. His ambition and commitment to make a success of this comeback is clear. And there were some fascinating nuggets littered throughout. His description of the all-conquering RB19 was fantastic. And how the car is tricky to drive at low speed. Remember those two spins on his first run? But it becomes stable from 50% throttle. What a description of that remarkable car. DR, thanks again for your time and enjoy the off-season. I'll see you soon. Now, please let us know what you think of today's episode through all the usual means. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on X. 
Or you can use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Tell us what you think of Daniel Ricciardo. And that, of course, brings me on to what you sent in after last week's episode with Bernie Collins. Many of you enjoyed hearing from Bernie, and here are just a handful of your messages. Let's start with this from Alison Norman. Love Bernie on Sky's commentary. I find her insight fascinating, and I miss Bernie on the weeks that she's not there. Great interview. It was interesting to hear her take on Checo and Seb. Thanks for getting in touch, Alison. And yes, she was really interesting on Seb and Checo and the strengths of each driver in particular. She's a straight shooter, is Bernie. And what about this from Stephen Power? I've been waiting a long time for this one. Bernie has brought so much knowledge to the Sky coverage and I love her weekly column on the F1 website. It's great to hear about strategy in Formula One. The Bernie and Ruth Buscombe episodes of Beyond the Grid have been my favourite so far. We'll leave it there for messages this week. Thank you to everyone who got in touch. And well, that's almost it for season six of F1 Beyond the Grid. We have one more show for you this year when we'll bring you our best of 2023 next week. We've had some cracking guests this year and I can't wait to share some of the best bits with you. For now, though, thanks for listening and make sure you follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can enjoy the episodes as soon as they're released. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.